nurses and hypochondriacs, the podcast that brings nurse experts, patients, and hypochondriacs together to discuss hot topics in healthcare. And here is your host, Ercilia Pompilio. The trafficking of foreign nurses into the United States is a real thing. On this episode of the Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast, my very special guest, Kay Mendoza, joins us to talk about her own personal journey as a foreign nurse coming into the United States and how she became the accidental foreign nurse lifeguard. This is a very special episode. It's really interesting and you won't want to miss it. But first, a word from our sponsor. This episode was brought to you by Rogue Nurse Media and the Well-Written Nurse, empowering nurses and patients to tell their stories. Oh, you're recorded. Okay. Worries. Welcome to the show, Kay Mendoza, to the Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast. And um, we've been chatting a little bit. So you are the foreign nurse lifeguard. That's what you call yourself. We were talking about how you just kind of found yourself here all of a sudden, like you were teleported into this timeline. And all of a sudden, this is who you are. So tell yes. us about yourself. <laughs> so I, as I said to um, our previous conversation earlier, like I am, I'm a, a nurse. I'm a registered nurse. Um, originally from the Philippines, migrated to United States back in 2005, 2006. And after that, I was minding my own business like everybody is, is trying to learn the U.S. healthcare system because I want to become a professor myself one day, an educator, and started traveling around the U.S. And and along the way, after pandemic, I kind of saw a lot of nurses struggling um, with their, you know, with their employment terms. And I said, okay, this is not how it's done. This is how it's like. So it's like literally like I saw a bunch of people swimming and they don't know how to swim. <laughs> so, okay, here's, I'm going to teach you, but for now I'm going to save you, <laughs> but this is what you're going to do moving forward. So I guess that's how it started me realizing that I guess I was the accidental contract or foreign nurse um, lifeguard. <laughs> I love that. You know, it's like, and you were saying before we jumped on that you were always searching for your purpose, you know, like, what is my purpose in life? And so many people do and so many people don't. I feel that a lot of times in the nursing career, people are just trying to get by in their life instead of just being on the journey and understanding that whole hero's journey, like, okay, this I'm on planet earth. It's almost like we're in a simulation video game, you know? What is my, who am I in this video game? What am I supposed to do? I think life becomes much more exciting that way. Wouldn't you agree? Correct. And if you, I've, I've always thought that things happen for a purpose and you'll have a purpose on earth <laughs> to accomplish. Right. Um, during back then in 2005, there was a big retrogression. Retrogression means in the U.S. Um, immigration system is there is not enough visa anymore to give any person coming to the U.S. for visa. So there was a big retrogression coming to the um, to the foreigners in the U.S. 
And I believe there are more than 150 nurses who were interviewed by U.S. employer. And I think only two of us got here just before that happened. Wow. Out of the 150. And, and at that time, I was like, okay, why, why did I get it out of that, that people, right? So I always right, try to right. find, you know, this is not coincidence. And I landed in New York City by myself without the 150 that was given the same job. And I was trying to see what's my purpose in life back then. How old were you? Because you seem very young. I just turned 40. Oh my God, you look amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Um, yeah, so that that's the thing there. I just kept on going and I said, I think I want to become a professor. So me going to travel nursing will learn different things on U.S. because I'm an immigrant and I don't know what U.S. healthcare system is. And it's not fair for me to become a professor if I don't know what I'm teaching. So right. that, that was my main goal was to go to different healthcare system and learn different ways of the U.S. healthcare system. And, you know, it's always about finding my purpose, you know, in an inefficient way. And I've read this one book called... Um, uh, what do you call this one by Stephen Covey, um, like for um, purposely different life. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> so it really helped me um, navigate my life here in the United States and trying to be always, you know, always start with an end in mind. I love that. Like I said, so many people meander, like they don't know what their purpose is or what they're supposed to be doing, you know, but I, I really love your, how your purpose found you. What I want to do before we jump in, you know, you're also a mixologist. You also do all these amazing <laughs> creative things, which I love your creative side as well as I was reading. So what's your favorite cocktail that you like to mix up? Oh, my favorite is my Long Island iced tea. Oh, wow. <laughs> and of course, my pina colada is for my, uh, my Caribbean and my Asian friends who love sweet drinks. Oh, I love that. Yeah, mine is an Aperol spritz. So it's pretty Italian. And um, I here in Palm Springs, I have uh, one of my favorite bars that I like to go to. It's like a locals bar. It's called Paul Bar, but it looks like a speakeasy. It's super cool. So my favorite drink there is the frozen sidecar, which uh, is is cool. (laughs) Anytime you're down in Palm Springs, we'll have to go to Paul Bar, definitely. But yeah, so I also wanted to jump in with a little bit of the history, specifically with Filipino nurses and how um, so many nurses uh, were brought over to the U.S. and why. Like I knew a little bit about it because basically my background is um, I grew up in Eagle Rock, which was predominantly a very um, Filipino town. So I went to a school called St. Dominic's, which was all Filipino kids, you know, (laughs) the Filipino nurses that came over, put their kids in Catholic school. I mean, they worked so hard. They all drove Mercedes. They put their kids. (laughs) I I know that by heart. They they all, you know, they all, um, all the kids were in Catholic school and I was kind of like a minority in in a way. There were only a (laughs) few Italian kids and we all, the Italian people all knew each other. So, um, 
um, it was always very interesting. So I got very accustomed to the Filipino culture um, because all my friends were Filipino. So you go to their house, you have like lumpia, you have like pancet, you have like amazing food, you know, and we used to have Halloween carnivals. And uh, my mom used to work the Italian booth right next to the Italian booth was a Filipino booth. So we'd always <laughs> be switching over pizza for beef sticks, you Yummy. know? And, yeah. So it, it was always um, really cool. So I think for myself, it prepared me to go into the nursing profession, which um, in Los Angeles, you know, a lot of the hospitals have a lot of Filipino nurses, especially if you work for the Kaiser, uh, uh, the Kaiser foundations and stuff yeah. uh, and the Kaiser hospitals. But let's kind go back I thought it was so interesting um I, I sent you that time uh magazine article yeah. which uh, I didn't know about how like in 1907 uh when like the U.S. like came or I guess it was in the 1800s um the U.S. took over portions of the Philippines and went ahead and started to um, westernize their healthcare system. And they had the first nursing schools or health, you know, healthcare type schools, I guess, physicians as well, but um, westernized. Can you talk more about that? Yes. So Philippines is a great ally of uh, American. And during back, especially during the World War II, where it was really pushed to, to, um, to have more um, American books, American setting, everything was in English, you know, during that back then, world, after World War II, that we were really focused on educating nurses in the Philippines, similar to how American system is. So there was a big, um, big change during that time, during after the World War II. Um, the Philippines is a very good island in that in the Pacific that is very well, you know, I think strategically located, I would say. The, and Americans have their own base in the Philippines called Clark Base, which is about three hours north of, of Manila back then. Um, but now you can fly there directly. So it was very close. They have their own um, American base in the Philippines. And, and we have a very good ties with Americans. So all the, all the books now are in in English. And when I went to nursing school, it's actually one of the oldest university in the whole world. It wow. Was, yeah, it's called University of Santo Tomas. So it's 1611. It was founded 1611. I believe it's older wow. than Harvard. <laughs> so it's one of the um, best nursing school back then. And all our, all our authors of the books that we have, we see all, but majority are actually American authors. There was one time when I arrived here in the United States, I was trying to pursue my college, uh, my master's in education. I said, oh, my application will be sent to this person. And I said, wait a minute, that's, that's the book that I was just reading back home. She thought, oh my God, that is so funny. <laughs> so wow. like, but don't get me wrong, but I said, I thought majority of the authors are dead <laughs> back then. <laughs> right? So it's no, pretty surreal that. when, when you meet an author of a nursing textbook that happened to me a few times where I, I was at like, um, meetings and all of a sudden the author of like we had this book it was called the burns book and that woman was right next to me i was like oh you wrote that book you know <laughs> so. <laughs> so it's very interesting so every everything that we were told and done was very similar to the american system so that's why um there is a a, a, a survey that the philippines is the number one um 
producer of a foreign nurse is among in America in the U.S. because it's very easy to transition. We don't have to take another um, training. All we have to do is just take that NCLEX exam, an English exam. And prior to that, we had like CGFNS, which is the commissions for graduate of foreign nurses. So we have to do, take to do, uh, two exams, CGFNS and NCLEX. But whatever we studied back in school is exactly within there. So that was the start of the um, immigration of Filipino, Filipino nurses in the U.S. Not only the start, but again, the massive delegation of the Filipino nurses to the U.S. is um, during, um, after the World War II. And then we have like waves of different times when there's a big need, especially during the pandemic, 2020, when there's a big need for foreign nurses, not only in the U.S., but all over the world. So Philippines is number one in, in deploying nurses. Right. And I also read like during the HIV and AIDS crisis, like back in the 1980s and the 1990s, that um, foreign nurses, that was another big upsurge in foreign nurses Mm -hmm. coming into the U.S., especially uh, because they were saying that the American nurses didn't want to take care of the AIDS patients. So they brought in foreign nurses. So that was one of the reasons. One of the things that I found so interesting about that Time article that I sent you and I never knew before about uh, the Filipino nurses were was that Marcos, the president, Fernand Marcos, yes. was pivotal in really yes. pushing uh, nurses to go over to the United States because the nurses would go ahead and send money back to their uh, families. And so, and that was one of his biggest things is to help run and grow the economy. Because if he was just going to have the nurses in the Philippines or, you know, the healthcare system in the Philippines, it wasn't going to grow as fast as sending these nurses out to the U.S. because they were now sending money back to their families to help grow uh, the Filipino infrastructure and probably Imelda Marcos's uh, shoe collection too, right? <laughs> <laughs> but um did you know about that oh i i am from the same province where they are from the Ilocos. interesting yes so um yeah so i found that really interesting so tell us a little bit more about your journey like you said wh- how old were you when you came into the united states as a foreign nurse so I blindly signed my contract when I was 21. I have wow. no idea what I was doing in my life. Um, my experience in coming to the United States was very eventful. I did not know it was a job interview. I just walked in. Somebody was there, American. And I was wearing my green Chuck Taylors and my shirt because I did not know it was a job interview. I was just told to come. I'm going to meet. I'm going to meet somebody, bring all your documents. And that's my aunt. She's very nice and lovely. I love her. But I did not get the full message. It was a job interview. Oh, <laughs> so wow. I, I came from a 16-hour night shift, you know, 16-hour evening and night shift. And then she said, come to Manila, bring all your documents. We're going to introduce it. I have no idea. I was so sleepy. You know how it is when you just came from 20 hours being awake? Oh, yeah. I can only imagine. And and you just want to go to your bed. And they said, congratulations. Um, welcome to Harlem Hospital. That was my petitioner. I And I said, oh, did you just hire me? <laughs> and, and the director of nursing, um, I'd like to shout out for her. She's very lovely, uh, Miss Goodwill. And and she said, yes, we hired you. <laughs> and I said, wow. Okay. 
okay, thank you. <laughs> and you didn't know where you were going. You'd never been to Harlem before. You'd never been to New York. You'd never been to the United never, States. Never been out of the country. I've never, I have not to travel. You know, we, we did not come from a very rich family. I was, as a nurse, I was earning $100 a month. Wow. Uh, as a bachelor's degree, operating room, recovery room, and labor delivery nurse back then. Um, so it's not something that we can afford to travel, really. And But I know, I watch TV, and I said, the only thing I know about Harlem is Harlem Globetrotters. That's it. <laughs> so anyway, I went back to sleep. My mom said, did you sign any documents? And she said, I did, a lot of it. And then she looked in my packet and she said, that's your contract. Why did you sign contracts that you, you know, that you'd not read? I don't know, mom. You know, I'm 21. I'm YOLO, you know. <laughs> right. I mean, who would think about contracts when you're 21? All you have to do is like, you know, like any any kid who would scroll on the apps right now would just look at the accept button and just click accept without reading anything. Right. So, so that's just me back then. And I, I, I don't know what I'm going through. So that's how it went. I hadn't. I did not have plans to come to the United States. My plan was to become a doctor in the Philippines and be a pediatrician. Actually, <laughs> so we have the same um, interests. That's um, awesome. But during that time, there was a massive need for Filipino nurses to the U.S. So it was just an opportunity, being on the right time, on the right place, and having all that credentials. So. So yeah, and I told my mom, don't worry, it will take two years. It's really the visa process will take two years. You know, don't worry, your 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 youngest daughter will not leave you. And after eight months, I got my visa. Oh, that's and, awesome. And she did not talk to me after. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, but it that that's how it was back then. It's um and that was my journey coming to the United States. It wasn't easy. It was full of challenge. I, I love it. I did not regret any single part of it. So were you living in an apartment by yourself or were you in a dorm or like, how did that work out? And and what was like your, do you remember your first day in an American hospital and what that was like? <laughs> yeah, I exactly, it's still clear in my mind right now. Um, when I arrived here, the hospital um, or, um, organized a, um, a housing for us. So it's called Draper Hall, which is a cross-metropolitan hospital. If you're from New York City, or some listeners are from New York City, this is your Upper East Side on the First Avenue. And there's a big building there by 97th Street by Metropolitan. So that's where they they um, they gave us housing, free housing for six months. That was offered back then as a solo dormitory, solo occupancy dormitory, um, overlooking FDR Drive. I have no wow. complaints. <laughs> and it's wow, in Manhattan. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and and after six months, we will have to pay our monthly dues. Back then, it was five hundred a month oh, for wow. a dorm. That's amazing. So, so I said, you will never find that ever again in any part of the world. Nope. I think. <laughs> <laughs> so we were very, you know, very lucky. Um, I think I'm very blessed to have that um experience to have there and not worry about where I'm gonna live you know but right now it's a different scenario right but back then we were we get, we got those benefits um and then it wasn't hard because we were from Upper East Side going to Harlem they said it's a little bit tricky with the environment so just be careful but the good thing is they provided us shuttle oh, from nice. that place to the hospital because they know that you know the employees 
travel around different healthcare system, like the HR person from this hospital, we need to go to the other side. So there's every, I think every hour there's a shuttle that would travel. So it was, we were kind of spoiled when we arrived, uh, when we started working, actually not during arrival, but when we started working already. Um, so it, the first time I got there, I was so scared as Ursilia. I can imagine. I, I'm so, you know, I, I it, it's like. Uh, you're only 21. You're in a new country. Yeah. I mean, you're going into yeah. a hospital in Harlem. You're just like, I, I would be terrified. I'm terrified for you. I'm on your journey. I'm on your story. <laughs> I'm terrified. <laughs> so so take, us, take us into your first day. So everybody was telling me before coming to the U.S. It said, oh, you don't know Harlem. I'm like, no, I don't know Harlem, which is, I think is a good thing. Sometimes what you don't know does not hurt you. Exactly. Right. <laughs> so when I went there, I just took it. Okay. I met people. Um, so it, it's very diverse. So which was one thing I think that helped me culturally to adapt. It's, it's very culturally diverse place. So I started meeting also some Filipino who introduced me to their, you know, to our other colleagues who are, who are um, different um, nationality, different cultures. And, but it was tough. It's not easy. First, it, the uh, transition was the language barrier. It was huge. You know, when you go to Boston, you have Bostonian accents there. When you go right. to like, Connecticut or let's go to um, upstate New York, you know, it's not as diverse as New York City. Well, when you're in New York City, I do not understand everything we say. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> because the language that I studied was IELTS. IELTS is British language examination that I took. So it's British accent that I was practicing. Oh, wow. And then when I got here, now you have your Jamaican accent, your Puerto Rican accent, your Brooklyn accent, your Italian accents, you know, um, Filipino accent all merge into one that. Who's oh, doing wow. the right accent? Is this my ears was just bleeding? <laughs> oh my gosh! So every time I would say, "Can you repeat that for me, please? Can you repeat that again?" I felt like I was slow, you know. But but then I I, I said I, I'm gonna take it as a challenge instead of as a you know as a a challenge to grow, rather a challenge than to stop me or fill me down. So what I did was I just went to um, Blockbuster that time, which is like, you know, a few blocks away from me. I rented a lot of, you know, um, series, you know, TV series and just watch it and watch it and watch it. I love that. Yeah. So all I did was watch it, watch it. And then um, there are like, um, during back then, there's no podcast yet. There Mm -hmm. were um, like, I work in the operating room. So it's called OR Live, which they do educational operating room um, webcasting. So I started using that too was was very oh, helpful in transition yeah because that, you know how it is in the operating room it was it's quiet it's the quiet doc- yeah the doctor has their mask and they would mumble so it really was additional challenge for me to hear what they're saying on top of the you know the language barrier and the accent so it was really I have to stand in beside the surgeon for <laughs> you know for the entire period of the case just for me to hear it louder. <laughs> wow. Yeah. You have to be very proactive, right? Like you have to, 
like educate yourself. You have to really push through, uh, which is so interesting. My cousin learned English that way as well as you did. So he got a contract to come to the U.S. He got his visa and he was working for a big French company. So he's a, a controller. And so he didn't like his um, English teacher in France. Like he fired many English teachers. So he would just watch Friends like obsessively, oh, friends. <laughs> you know, the show. And so he yeah. wanted to have this friends lifestyle. So he uh, moved to New York and was in um, like a WeWork uh, apartment space where there where he had two or three roommates. And so he had that lifestyle that friends like exactly. Yeah. It was hilarious, you know, um, which he really, really loved. He was like, look, I'm living the friend's lifestyle. Like he totally <laughs> created this from the TV show uh, and stuff, which was totally fun. So take us into present day now. So again, you are the foreign nurse lifeguard and you said you came into this role, which uh, was probably divinely guided for you um, <sighs> by everything that was happening complaints you were listening to from other foreign nurses was this product did this happen during covid mostly uh, and tell us what was going on with some of the nurses that were reaching out to you or you decided to help so when i started coming out in the social media i was more um more of like a person who would um just guide the travel nurses back in 2020 i do have fear of talking to people actually it's... I think you're doing an amazing job oh you're my very gosh, I, I love your personality you're very um you're you're very like bubbly and stuff so <laughs> very cute and bubbly which is awesome it took me a long time to really break that thing because the only person that I'll be really comfortable talking with are my friends and my family but let's say if I'm in new place like a traveling nurse coming into a new I would really like shut my mouth for weeks, I will not talk with anybody because I don't know if I'm saying something that will be, you know, that will be offending somebody because of the cultural difference. And and af after I break that, and that's the time you will hear me talk, actually. But I'm kind of the same <laughs> way. I've done a lot of travel contracts um, in most of my career. I've done like locums and travel. And when I was at a new place, yeah, I'll kind of be quiet. And then, um, and then I'll start my real personality will shine through. So I'm, I always say I'm an introvert extrovert. <laughs> yeah, so, that's right. That sense, I think that's the correct term for that. It's introvert yeah. and then extrovert. It's like a, there's like a deterioration of your introvertness. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And then your trooper, you're like feeling out and you're like, okay, you know, now I can, I get everybody. So, uh, which is, I think a trait of a lot of travel nurses though. Um, but but some will come in and kind of like rule over, but then some yeah. will come in and, and I think the best thing to do is just feel out the water because yeah. you are, you know, you are visiting. So you're not going to be there yeah. full time and you don't want to make waves where there are no waves, but usually yeah. travel nurses are very adaptable into all different situations, right? You kind of have to learn that. It, it is a skill that is necessity for, for a person who's, traveling to different um, places so wh what I did was I was visible on that platform for travel nurses and a lot of people reach out to me um, they, they ask me things about travel nursing and eventually I started paying people I'm gonna pay you 
just to see how I say things because I'm shy. <laughs> I would not talk to anybody. So he said, "Hey, you, we don't you don't have to pay us, but we'll pay you to do it." I exactly. Said, no. And I said, "No, I don't feel right doing this and asking for payment when I'm just testing the water." So, but I, you know, initially I told them, "But if you do want to." to donate on my cause because I was supporting children back in the Philippines. If you want to donate, feel free to donate any amount and I will do this Zoom meeting with you. And they agreed. Right. And they were generous. So I got two persons to sign up for that. And after doing it, they were so generous. They donated $500. Wow. And I'm like, cool. I I bought the school supplies for the kids right away for, for the Philippines. I send the money right away to the Philippines and I was so happy. So that was the motivation for me is to be able to come up with something for other people that will, you know, that will push me to do things because I'm not, I'm very bad in business asking for people's money <laughs> for, right. know, for charging. I do have business though for photography, for photo booth. And that's the time I started, you know, talking, but those are my clients. I have to, right. But for people doing like talks and speaking, I, I don't know how to, to do it the right way. I have... I have um, stage fright. <laughs> yeah, so I started doing the Zoom meeting and eventually grew bigger and bigger. So like, you know, from 50, 100, 200 people on the Zoom meeting. Wow. And I said, I have no problem looking at the webcam, but I do have a problem being on stage. So I said, I'll just stay here on the webcam. And and apparently some people from travel nursing community were Filipinos too, that they started traveling and they said hey Kay I think you'll be very helpful um if you join this group you know um and I said what is that group and they said this is a Filipino Facebook group that we are helping educate nurses coming to the United States and said okay let me try to see what I can do and help so that's the time I started seeing a lot of you know of issues you know there's a lot of opportunities that i've seen there's a lot of good things that i've seen but there's also bad things that i saw which i think that's not acceptable <laughs> okay. like can you talk about some of the bad things that you were seeing um because uh what i heard and what i've read is like some nurses that were here and if there they wanted to leave their contracts early they either would not be given their passport or their visa um, there were some weird issues like that. It's it's almost like they were kind of being trafficked uh, without uh, without them really knowing it. So can you talk a little bit about that? So yeah, definitely. That early part, um, like late last year, 2022, um, I, I got a couple of messages already. Ha- like, you know, hey, hey, my recruiter have all my passports, my social security. Wow. Um, like we just arrived here. And we have we are not starting work yet, and I'm running out of money already because I'm in a location where I'm spending and not really earning money. And all I want to do is just go visit my family in a different state, so I am saving my money from expenses. And then I'll just come back, you know, when my job is ready. Which is, I think, I don't see any problem. You go. I don't see a problem with that either. Yeah, going to your um, family, but. They said I cannot leave, and and they have my visa and my my green card, and they said they cannot they cannot go anywhere that they're supposed to stay there in that facility until that job comes. And I said that is wrong. Nobody can hold your green card or your passport without you know it's illegal. 
<laughs> right. So I told them that's illegal. But then, of course, um, as the culture of Filipino is, we just don't want to get in trouble. We want peace. You know, if we cannot, if we can run away from disputes and arguments, we will do that. It doesn't matter how much we will have to sacrifice and pay, but we just don't want disputes, especially in a new country that we are in. So it was a common thing. Back then, I did not realize that it, those are actually labor trafficking. That yeah. You cannot coerce people to do things against their will, stuff like that. So for me, I thought that was just common to some recruiters or agencies because I have heard of that many times before. But when the nurses came to me that has that have been sued for thousands of dollars, hundreds of thousands. So of nurses dollars. were getting sued? Yes. So they were sued for quitting their job. That's where, where I really like dig into this. I said, okay, this is absolutely not right. And I dig into it and I reviewed their situation. And as a traveling and experienced traveling nurse, I know the different training, right? The training training that we go through and how 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 the work is as well in nursing homes, because I have worked in a nursing home before. Mm-hmm. Um and I said, This is wrong. You cannot be sued one hundred thousand dollar plus. Oh my god. Days. Are you kidding yes. me? No, I'm not. So I said, This is no, because you are just standing up for your patient safety and your license. If you if you feel like your your workplace is unsafe and it's gonna kill your patient and it's gonna ruin your license or strip off your license, definitely you have the right to quit that job. And you know, I look into it. American Nurse Association said there the the rights of nurses' rights says that that you have the right to leave. <laughs> right, so, because that's your license. Like, wow, that is crazy. It is. So it blew my mind, and I felt bad for this nurse because it was towards Christmas time right and I said you don't want to be coming to Christmas and you're new in the United States this is your first Christmas this is your first holiday and Christmas is very big deal in the Philippines it's like the number one holiday right that everybody respects um so every you know I said you cannot be having this first Christmas in the United States and you are dealing with this kind of lawsuit you know plus visa revocation and I look into it, there's one, there's two, there's three, there's four, there's five. I'm like, oh my God, how many are you? Because messages keep coming on my inbox now. Where mm. are you guys? And they said, oh, we're from Maryland, we're from Ohio, we're from Missouri, we're from Pennsylvania, we're from Indiana, we're from Virginia. I'm like, oh my God, you guys are everywhere. Yeah. So and then I started, um, you know, I started digging, digging, and called for the help of the American Nurse Association, the Philippine Nurse Association. I called the Philippine government. I said I have no idea how to do this, but maybe you guys have answer for me. So I was trying to reach out to these people. You know, good thing that person that that I told them to pay me or pay, I paid them five hundred dollars yeah. right, for me. Right. So it kind of helped me to start talking to this to this um, leadership. Right. Because if I did not develop that skill of talking to other people, then I probably would be like, I don't know how to help you. I would turn my back and move forward. But I know I have I know that in my experience as a traveling nurse, I have the idea that it's wrong, but I just don't know how to fix it. But maybe if I tap these people who knows how to fix it and give me direction, maybe I we will all connect the dots. 
So that was the part of me really reading, reading. Oh my God, I had to quit my job. <laughs> I quit my job in Hopkins. I said to my boss, I'm sorry, this is the first time I'm going to cut my contract in 18 years of wow. my life. I've never, I've never, you know, quit my contract, but I said, um, but I promise to come back. And that's my promise to her. And, and, you know, she was, she understand. And she said that we respect just come back when you're, when you're ready. And, you know, I'm very thankful for their support because I don't, you know, cutting your contract sometimes when it's personal situation, it's not really acceptable unless it's medical or emergency, something came up. Right. But for mm -hmm. me, I feel like my personal life was conflicting with my professional career, which for me wasn't right to just quit it like that. But I said, this is patient life. Who is at risk if they don't quit? And these are nurses' license. It's going to be our life and life also, you know, ruined if we don't do anything about it. So that's the time I started researching and analyzing more about the U.S. immigration of nurses and the rules that are bound to it. And, and I started talking to lawyers and they said there was a lawsuit back in 2000 and 2006 about mm -hmm. this company called Suntosa and and it was ruled that it was human trafficking. Exactly wow. the same thing that they did was human trafficking. It was ruled and they won. And I said, this is exactly what's happening to them too. You know, it's yeah. just a different scenario back then because they were they were sued criminally for abandonment of patient. Wow. Mm -hmm. like, yeah, they were told to come back to work or that case was pursued as criminal. Mm -hmm. when, you, when you're a nurse and you're sued criminal, you cannot work. Period. Right. <laughs> You're going to lose your license and uh, and then they're probably going to be sent back to the Philippines. So they're probably yep. going to be lo losing their visas as well yes, or and their the green cards sometimes, too. Exactly. So you lose everything. And, you know, I feel bad for these nurses. When I heard about their story, these nurses back in 2006 in New York, they were handcuffed. What? They, That's they were handcuffed. Wow. Yeah, that they, is they, so crazy. They shared their story to me um, like months back ago and they said, you know, it was a really bad experience. Okay, you know, up to now they were crying because they said, yeah, like post-traumatic stress. Yeah, yeah, that never goes away. And, you know, it ruined their life for many years until that proceeding, you know, the verdict that back in, I think, 2019 or 2018 mm -hmm. when, when it was ruled that it was trafficking. So I said, what's been happening since I arrived here in the United States? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's still happening right now. We have to stop this. Come on, guys. So I, that's the time I said, we have to stop this. Because these are nurses' life. These are professionals who's taking care of patients. If we, nobody pays attention to this, um, I'm pretty sure a lot of people want to help, but they don't know how to help because of the complexity of immigration, foreign nursing, contracts. And a lot of people are not well versed in that space. So me finding my situation that I know contract nursing, I know international foreign recruitment, and I, I've been a traveling and contract nurse for, for 18 years here wow, my, yeah. my whole life in the United States. I mean, I think it's a matter of really listening, you know, supplementing my knowledge with what the law out there with the help of our lawyers and and put out an education for a lot for everybody to understand. So for me, I'm just the connector of the dots. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you have so much knowledge and experience, and mm -hmm. 
you know, you are a professional in that. Uh, you're very well versed. So, uh, but it was very interesting how that all came to be, you know, and, um, and it, it, like you said, you were divinely guided to do that. So what are your next steps? I mean, are you feeling uh, that you want to go into law and maybe pursue like a a law degree so that you can actually help uh, these nurses in a bigger aspect or, you know, what, what's your next steps with um, being the foreign nurse lifeguard? I see you writing a book. You know, I always say that. <laughs> yeah, thank you. My, my, no, my I, English I is a... very poor. I need somebody yeah. to help me. <laughs> yeah, I'll help you. I'll totally help you, you know. Um, but I, I think this would be a very interesting book uh, with all the history of um, of the foreign nurses in the Philippines and how that all came to be. Uh, and also these personal stories of these nurses, because that can actually happen to anyone, uh, you know, foreign or not. Like I was on a travel contract in 2021 where I was working at the um, migrant children's shelter in Pomona. And, um, you know, I, know about contracts. So I boosted them to the highest rate for a nurse practitioner, which was $95 an hour. And I was doing the night shift because I was like, I want to get paid the highest, you know, and you had to work like seven days straight. And I was like, that's fine. You know, as long as I could go and sleep in a hotel and, you know, whatever. And so you'd get like one week on one week off. I think that's what they were doing. And so a lot of the other nurses that came on, who were uh, most, uh, for some reason, I don't know why they hired a bunch of nurse practitioners. It was very bizarre. Yeah. Uh, so obviously they didn't know what they were doing uh, because I was just like, okay, do you know what nurse practitioners do? I, I mean, yeah. it, it's just <laughs> like, uh, so a lot of the nurse practitioners who were coming from Southern states, uh, states like Alabama, uh, Florida, that get paid much lower than us here in California, those nurse practitioners, mm-hmm. they uh, were coming in at $75 an hour, like significantly yeah. lower, you know, mm-hmm. and that's because they didn't know how to negotiate. They had never been yeah. on a travel contract before. And so now why are all these nurses all getting paid other rates? So then there were other nurse practitioners coming in, making one twenty an hour. You know, so you're you're hearing all these bizarre things. So once you started to figure out what was going on, the so um, we were with Barton and Associates. Barton and Associates is now getting there in a lawsuit. These three nurse practitioners came forward and sued Uh Barton and Associates because here in California, like you cannot if you uh, fire somebody and let them go, you have to pay them their uh, salary right away you know Uh and so I was one of those people that got fired I was working for two weeks and um, I started asking a lot of questions like where were these kids coming from you know you have a thousand kids at a shelter where'd they come from the sky you know yeah Yeah, that's right what's going on here and they didn't like that you know I got into it with one of the nurses I mean they put me in lice care at midnight I was just like who's gonna pick out lice out of a kid's hair at midnight it it doesn't make any sense you know I have like over 20 years of experience, like uh, as a nurse, I've been a nurse practitioner since 2005, put me, you know, in the clinic, put me 
you know, to help the kids to, you know, there was a lot of girls having their period and they needed medications and stuff like that. So I was like, that's where I can help you with the assessment and diagnosis and help you figure out stuff. I used to work at Disneyland. So I'm used to working with large crowds of people. You know, these are my skills. They weren't looking, they didn't care about that. You know, they really didn't care. They were just putting people wherever. And um, so the, the other nursing um, company, the, the travel nursing company that they had was family members with the people who were contracted to do the uh, medical stuff. So it was kind of like a family business, you know? So, so there's a lot of very bizarre things going on. (laughs) So, um, yeah, so so stuff can happen, and it, it turns out that um, you know they go find out that these kids are being trafficked. You know, yeah. I I know yeah. when I was talking to some of the kids, they were telling me that they were going to go stay with their grandmother in Alabama, and they were yeah. from Guatemala. And I was like, well, what's your mom? Yeah. You know, how is that? That's kind of weird. And so yeah. it turns out that they go and to these places they'd never met this grandmother before, and all of a sudden it's not a grandmother; it's just a person who now yeah. holds their visas, you know, and who's now trafficking yeah. them. And now they are the, um, they are the, uh, person in charge of them. What is it called? The, um, I forget the word. I can't think of it now, but, uh, anyway. And so they're in these little apartments. Sometimes these kids are sleeping yeah. six to a room and they're working in factories you know, these are teenagers. Yeah. These are like yeah. maybe kids that are like 10 years old and stuff. Yeah. And um, it, it's out there. And the person who yeah. did this, <laughs> these are, yeah. these are our council members. They're like, Oh, don't oh my ask questions. Yes. Yes. One of the women. Yeah. And I, I called them and I had a meeting with yeah. um, one of their attorneys, you know, when this happened and many of the other nurses did as well. And um, we just got brushed off. You know, they know this is happening. I mean, the woman who yeah. got the shelter that I was involved in in Pomona, she mm-hmm. was once Obama's secretary of labor. So I, I don't know, wow. you have to be an idiot to yeah. say, let me see. You're secretary of labor. Yeah. Now all these children are yeah. going to are working yeah. for like Hyundai and, and these corporations yeah. putting together yeah. car parts late at night. They're working in places where they're uh, like meat yeah. plants, where they're being, where they're yeah. butchering animals, you know? And, um, but you're okay with it. And it, it makes sense yeah. because there was a lot of advertising. Mm-hmm. I remember at the shelter, like a lot of marketing. And I thought that was very yeah. strange, but it was from these yeah. companies. So these companies were paying for the shelter. They're paying for these kids, this free labor to come in and, and do that. Yeah. So, um, and, and this is very well documented. There's been a lot of stuff coming out. It's just that people don't want to talk about it. People don't want to believe it, you know, unfortunately, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, so It can happen in all ends, even Mm -hmm. for American born nurses who have never traveled before, you know, they can Mm -hmm. be taken advantage of, you know, now they're in a a contract and you're just like, oh, wait a minute. Now they're taking off money because the hospital doesn't want to pay me anymore, you Mm -hmm. know, or, or whatever. Do I keep the contract or do I just go home? You know, because they'll give you that, that option. So it can get pretty shady out there. It does. And it's the sad thing is 
we nurses, you know, we're the most trusted professionals in the United States, I guess, with survey, right? And right, right. <laughs> because we are in that culture, you know, that we are, we're not being naive. It's just because the culture of nurses is, you know, with the, I would say we had a pure intentions, pure, pure, pure ways to live our life. And we chose it. Regard, we know that nursing is not the highest paid profession. We all know that. That's why we went here. Okay, we're paid okay, survivable living. And and we're not oriented to this kind of people, <laughs> you know, that who will take advantage of our innocence. Um, you know, because we're again, this is not our, our culture. And now we are being kind of like pimped by right. people who are not within our industry. And we just did not know that we are being pimped and exploited. So I think that's that part that we're very trustful because we're trustworthy yeah. people, right? And now becomes that we're trustful that they're not going to do this to us, right? We, we trusted that all the people, the business that our hospitals having relationship with, they're doing the right thing. You know, we trusted 100%, which is, I think, that's where a lot of people like, um, no, I don't think that exists or, you know, there's like a a setback of believing that this is existing because no, it should. No, I don't think that's happening like that, you know, because again, a lot of leadership are in, in a good acute care setting. Okay? Right. But a lot of this are not happening in the acute care setting. They're happening in the smaller facilities. You know, I'm not going to say a lot of, you know, nursing home rehab facilities, long-term care are bad. But I have been in one that is bad. And after many years, I checked the, I'm not sure if you know the ProPublica investigation. And I said, you know. No, I'm not, not aware of that. Uh huh. Yeah. So the ProPublica released a um, an investigation of the nursing homes in the United States. And I said, I think I've seen, I've seen ProPublica before. Only one article because they created a. They, they put out an article about the uh, taxes of the billionaires. So that right. ma- made me remember that they're investigative journalism. So then I, I just Google search, you know, nursing homes, and it, it prompted me. There's, there, they did an investigative journalism as well on nursing homes, and they graded all the nursing homes that they, they'd had list based from the CMS, Medicare um, sources. And I said, you know what? Let me Google. Let me, let me check my... Um, let me check the nursing home that where I used to work for before. Oh, wow. And it was oh, there. They're there. <laughs> wow. And they're the most serious. And my experience there was half day orientation, half day I'm doing CPR by myself. Oh my God. And I'm new in the United States. Mm-hmm. And the second day, 40 patients by myself. Oh my God. You know, there is no orientation. You know, there's only me and there's a short staff. And this is 2006, 2007. And on the third day, I was told to sign a document, which I did not do. I said, no, I refuse signing. And I was right. told, this is how we do it here in America. Oh and my God. And I said, after that, I said, no, this job is not for me. And this is not the nursing practice that I believed in. And I quit on the fifth day. I good for you yeah Yeah, I stood up but the good thing about that time I did not have a contract because I was a walk-in and I applied for a job oh yeah Uh my original job did not 
you know, wasn't ready for me and I am running out of money. I only have $200 in my pocket. Right. You know, in Manhattan. So I took a job and, um, and I never got paid. And I was wow. told, you don't get paid because you're a quitter. What? <laughs> that what is crazy. That's what I was told. And, and I, I left, I thought I was the most unlucky nurse in the whole world that time that, you know, I said, oh, my housing wasn't ready. And, and here I landed a job that doesn't want to pay me either. <laughs> and I only have 20 bucks left. <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, during that time, there was a, there was this big storm in New York city and, and all the trees were down in New Jersey. I was staying with my aunt. I have to leave five o'clock in the morning and arrive in my facility in Bronx at around past eight o'clock already. Wow. And a lot of people just called out, but I came because I don't have money. <laughs> and and that was the culture. I said, this is wrong. And then now I'm everything like falling into place, like connecting right. the dots. Yep. And I said, this is probably the reason why I experienced it. So when mm-hmm. I'm here, I'm able to share that story and be able to help other people get through what they're going through right now. And I always say, why me, right? And then like they said, your question. Oh, I say that all the time. I'm like, yeah. why me? Why can't yeah. I just be normal? <laughs> why can't I just be one of those people that goes to work every day, comes home, watches Netflix, has their little family, you know, but that's not my path. You know, I, I, I'm on the crooked path. I think you're on the crooked path as well. <laughs> you know, the crooked path is is much more challenging it is a lot of fun um it takes you to places where you've never it would have experienced you know there are those people that are on this straight and narrow path you know and they, they don't want to they don't want to um uh make waves they want to mm-hmm. they want to believe that everything is the way it is you know mm-hmm. and i do too you know i once wanted to believe you know, doctors and nurses did have the good intentions, do have good intentions, you know, and, and a lot of them do, but the reality is a lot of them don't, you know, and you have to yeah. be very sly. I used to have a boss back in the day when I was um, a teenager, I used to work at a bakery and she was Italian and she used to always say, you have to be furba and oh. furba in Italian means sly. So you have <laughs> yeah. to be very sly and it's, and it's true. You know, it's like you have to not just believe what someone is telling you, you know, you have to use your own judgment. Like, how is this resonating with me? Does this sound right? Is what I'm seeing good or not good? You know, is this, does this person have true intentions? I mean, the only person that's going to really look after yourself is you, Mm -hmm. you know, and you have to, isn't that true? Like you've had this very interesting experience but at the end of the day were other people did your recruiter care about you did your Mm -hmm. hospital no you cared about you right exactly so I always tell people nobody will advocate for yourself except yourself you know there'll be you know there'll be your boss there'll be your managers they are there because they're doing business with you 
But at the end of the day, if they're going to be choosing between you and their job, they're going to always choose. They're going to always choose their job. Yeah. I've had, um, I've been in situations where I've uncovered certain things and I've had other managers come up to me uh, in private and say, oh, thank you. You know, thank you for discovering this, but I can't do anything because I have uh, my pension and my 401k and and I'm close to retirement. So I can't really do anything. So this is how people really think. So they know that certain things are corrupt, certain Mm -hmm. things are going wrong and they'll keep on going because they have, they're, they're only in it for themselves. Like they only care about themselves, you know? Uh, And and I've seen this a lot in healthcare. You know, I I've been doing nursing since 1997 and I've worked in academia. Yeah. I've worked in academia. I've worked in big pharma. I've worked in so many different places, mostly in California. I haven't gone out of the state of California, but um, yeah, but, uh, you have to be very, very sly these days. And I think now it's even getting even uh, much more cunning, I, I guess is a good word um, with, with everything that's going on. We're seeing more and more nurses going out on strike. We're uh-huh. seeing uh, more and more nurses advocating for safer patient ratios, which to me yeah. in California, we got safe patient ratios back in um uh, the early 2000s, late 1990s, going into mm-hmm. the early 2000s. And it's like, well, why hasn't the rest of the nation followed suit? It doesn't make any oh. sense to me. Yep. That's it very yeah. weird. <laughs> Especially during that time when um, COVID happened. Like, right. okay, a lot of, a lot of really people like, please give us safe ratio. You know, there's studies everywhere, but you know, they chose not to. Right? Right. And then you will now ask yourself, why, why, why? And then you really, it's all about the money. <laughs> it's all about the money. Yeah. Yeah. So, it, so it this is sad. Yeah. So this has been such a, a great conversation. I've loved our conversation yeah. today. <laughs> you are also a photographer. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Like uh, yeah. you, you do drone photography as well, which I think is fascinating. <laughs> so, yeah. So I, Every time I end up a contractor, Celia, what I did was I always created a short-term goal in my life. Mm-hmm. To attain my long-term goal is to retire early and yeah. hopefully build my own school and build an orphanage. So that's why I always I love my that. goal in life. Yeah. And then every time I'm, you know, every time I end my contract, I always try to see if I can reward something with, you know, myself, something that I really like to do. Because when I was a kid, I grew up not really being able to do the things that I really do because of financial, you know, challenges that we had. My mom, a single mom, earning 500, you know, 500, sorry, 5,000 pesos, like $100 for four kids. Wow. A month, you know, and everybody went to college, finished. She's amazing. Um, So I never had luxury of doing other things. So now when I got here in the United States, I'm by myself. I'm kind of like lonely. All my family's back home in the Philippines. And I pursued my nursing education. You know, every every quarter, every quarter of the year, I have to give myself a reward. I love to, it. To do the things that I love doing. Like you said, one of them was my mixology. Um, because I don't know how to drink. I get drunk. <laughs> in my assignment in Boston, my friend, Italian co-workers, they just told me, come, 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 come with me. You know, we're going to drink for holiday. The next day, I don't know where my car was. And I promised oh my myself, my, this Italian people screwed me over. <laughs> <laughs> so I said, I, I love will it. Not, I will promise not to drink 
anymore until I learned mixology. And then after that, that was my goal. My, I was, the party was never the same. <laughs> oh, I love it. And then after that, I, I started doing photography, which I love. Um, I love photography. I want to go back to it. I used to do a lot of it in high school, but I've been wanting to buy a camera myself. Yeah. It it kind of like, um, for me, it's like a relaxation when I do photography and I edit pictures. It's like my form of hobby. You know, people have their own hobbies. This was my my thing that I like editing. Um, And then I started it. This is a funny thing where I, where, where I, kept on being a travel nursing photography helped me because I'm lazy I want to do things faster so I created this photo booth have you seen those parties with photo booth machines yeah yeah front? there's a uh-huh. touch screen back in 2013 there was not that open air photo booth so me in the operating room in Yale looking at this I like it in Doscopy Tower they have the camera they have the lights they have the printer they have a big monitor so I said I want to create a photo booth like that Wow. <laughs> so while on my break time in Yale, in Connecticut, in my assignment, I was, you know, doing my prototype. And then I created my own photo booth. And then I started to sell that photo booth, that service. It was funny because I said it was for fun, you know, just to help me extra income for nursing. And eventually, as I travel from different places, I met a lot of like surgical technicians or husbands of nurses who are at home taking care of the kids. But they have availability on weekend. I said to them, do you want me to train you to run my photo booth? I love that. And they said, sure. I said, I'll pay you $40 an hour. (laughs) If you're a tech earning $18 an hour, $40 is good, right? Right. I said, I'm going to teach you. I'm going to train you to run my photo booth. I was in New York. And then I traveled to Connecticut. I trained people in Connecticut. And then I traveled to Boston. I trained people in Boston. I tried to go to Maryland. I travel. I trained people in Maryland. Then I have a surgical tech in 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 LA, California. We got Oprah Winfrey to sign for our event. Oh my God, I love that. <laughs> so after that, the you know because number one trusted professional in the U.S. is nurse, and it's so, right. so hard to find a vendor that is very trustworthy with good creativity and very, very good talent in the events industry. So when they realized that I'm a nurse, I said, I'll hire you. Let me see your pictures. I'll hire you like that. So the business just went off quick. So, you know, I had to leave nursing and we were running different photo booth events every night in different cities. And there are times that I was in the Philippines already and the photo booth was still running in the U.S. Oh, I love that. That's so awesome. Yeah. So it was you know, that was my first, my love. And then eventually I, you know, bought a drone. I love landscape photography and, you know, I'm very, I, I like to take risks. So the first time I did my love drone it. photography was when I was in Hawaii that time. And, you know, the landscape of Hawaii was really pretty yeah. and nice. Um, and, and they said, are you sure you're going to fly that? Have you fly that? I mean, I mean, there's a training for it and I did it and you know, if that, if it does, yeah, yeah, you Um, need to come out to the desert because the trains here are so beautiful. And I wanted to do a movie with um, trains. So we'll have to talk about that. Yeah, you'll have to come out to the desert and with your drone. Yeah, let's do it. And and do the trains. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, but I'll do the top. And then I have my my ground cameras too. Yeah, we can all do together. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I'll produce it. I'll produce it. 
lots yes. of, oh, I'm getting goosebumps. We have to do it. <laughs> I'll tell you my idea. You're going to love my idea. But um, yeah, so I've loved talking to you. This is so much fun. I hope to have you on the show again. Where can people find you on um, your LinkedIn page? So yes, I'm now in LinkedIn. I just recently joined it, LinkedIn. Um, I mean, I opened an account before, but during this nurse foreign fandango, that's the time I started being visible in LinkedIn. Um, but you'll find me most in Facebook. I'm more active in Facebook. Um, we have a Facebook group called the Fora Filipino Nurses to US, which I help manage as well. Um, that's a community of 200,000 members composed of nurses around the world. Um, who wants to come to the United States. We have also employers and recruitment companies there. So I encourage every, you know, anybody who knows a foreign nurse, you know, please, you're very welcome to join us. Um, we don't exchange information only about jobs. So we exchange information about education transition, clinical transition, cultural transition. Um, I think one thing that a lot of employers miss is called financial transition, oh, which a yeah. lot of... A lot, not only foreign nurses have struggled, but I think new nurses coming to a um, for-profit companies or healthcare system. You know, we we all know we're in a in capitalist country with the profit-geared um, healthcare system. Unfortunately, I think it's very important that nurses will have to be taught that clinical. I'm sorry, that that financial transition from from your nurse and. And what do you expect, you know, because a lot of nurses are being, you know, not paid enough because they did not know how to negotiate the contracts. Like yeah. you said. So we will, we, we teach it there. So I, I personally took my negotiating class just to, to teach better. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for having me. All no, right. You. It's been super you. fun. Thank you. <laughs> Till okay. next time. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to our Nurses and Hypochondriacs podcast. We love your support and we love our listeners. If you have some spare change, go ahead and throw some to us on our Venmo at Nurses and Hypocon. Also, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes. We'd love that. And if you'd like to be a guest, go ahead and send us an email at nursesandhypochondriacs at gmail.com.